Uh, and it's Galatians chapter 6. So can you fellows pass out the Bibles? If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. If you do have your Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6. Galatians 6. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. These fine fellows will get you one. Galatians 6. All right. There it is. Okay, we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord and we sit for the word of the teacher. In case you've forgotten, I've been away so long. One we honor, the other we tolerate. Galatians 6, we're going to pick up where we left off at verse 11. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. The Apostle Paul writing to the churches in the region of Galatia, which is now modern-day Turkey, he's concluding this book, and, and uh, he's going to wrap it all up. It's a letter he wrote to all these churches, and uh, here we're going to pick up at verse 11. Paul writes, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And then one more thing before I let you sit down. Don't worry, you'll get to be comfortable. I want to revisit Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It's been a great inspiration and a blessing to me in these trying times. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 reads, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Lord, we thank you for your word. We want to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. We don't want to be entangled in a yoke of bondage. And Lord, we rejoice. We boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to us and we to the world. Lord, we want to bear in our body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I pray today, as we celebrate Memorial Day, that you would speak to us about this great gift that has been entrusted to us, this liberty. Here we are in this room, holding open a Bible, rightly dividing the word of truth, not fearful of persecution or threat. And these liberties that we enjoy have been secured by the 1.3 million men and women who have died on the field of battle. Lord, we remember them. We remember them. We remember the men and women who went away whole and came back broken. Some missing limbs. Some missing their minds. And yet here we are, enjoying this freedom and the peacefulness and the comfort of this room. 
while there are families that are suffering at the loss of loved ones. Young boys, young men died on the beaches of Normandy who would never see marriage, nor children, nor grandchildren so that Europe would be set free. They did not come to occupy, but to liberate and asking only for enough ground to bury their dead. Lord, thank you. We remember them. And Lord, we remember you. Greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And Lord Jesus, you said, as often as you do this, do this in memory of me. And so we take communion, remembering that it was your body that was broken and your blood that was shed to deliver us from the wages of sin and death and set us free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And so we remember you. Remember you for establishing that liberty and we remember the men and women who have protected it. And we thank you and we thank them on this Memorial Day in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I was, I was troubled this week, being over in England and getting news that um, the Boy Scouts of America had ruled in favor of admitting openly gay boys into their ranks. Not because I'm afraid of that. They, they held back on allowing openly gay adults to be a part of the organization, and not necessarily afraid of that. I'll tell you what concerns me. What concerns me is the loss of freedom and liberty. The Boy Scouts are trying to stave off a move of, of a realm of America that wants to be legitimate, legitimized. And in order to do that, they take organizations that have been around for hundreds of uh, over a hundred years, and and they they want to legitimize their position by stepping into something that says we don't recognize that, and if they will recognize it, then they become legitimate, and that that's a troublesome issue at best because we also find that in the realm of marriage, the fight in America for the definition of marriage. I'm not talking civil union; I'm talking marriage. A man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. That's the Bible. Now, you can dismiss the Bible and say it's irrelevant and say that it's full of flaws. And I will contend with you. You're sorely mistaken, and I will contend with you. But don't try to redefine it so it fits a definition of what you want it to say. It's a foundation that's immovable, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're workmen and women who need not be ashamed, approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. But here we are in this day and age where truth is relative. Whatever works for you is okay, and there's no absolutes. And then again, as I've said often, do we believe that absolutely, which then makes it an absolute, doesn't it? Ad nauseum and stupidity. 
Now, you may not like me or agree with me. But in a representative form of government, we have the ability to debate truths and defend them. Now, by judicial fiat, you can execute your will upon me, and that's called treason. Or, excuse me, that's called tyranny. It's called tyranny. Our founding fathers fought against tyranny. We're right back where we started. In my lifetime, and as we were driving through England and looking at the state of socialism in England, I thought about um, a quote that Congressman Bob McEwen, who was traveling with us, pointed out. It was by Ludwig von Mises, an economist and social philosopher. He said, the champions of socialism call themselves progressives. But they recommend a system which is characterized by rigid observance of routine and by a resistance to every kind of improvement. They call themselves liberals, but they are intent upon abolishing liberty. They call themselves democrats, but they yearn for dictatorships. They call themselves revolutionaries, but they want to make the government omnipotent. They promise the blessings of the Garden of Eden, but they plan to transform the world into a gigantic post office. He wrote this in the early 18, or late 18, 1800s, by the way. Every man but one, a subordinate clerk in a bureau. What an alluring utopia. What noble causes to fight. I mean, just go to the DMV. I can't wait for healthcare to be like that. I'm, I'm longing for that. I'm so grateful that the IRS is... Now examining all conservative organizations. I'm glad that the, the, the media, our First Amendment is now being violated as they're being subpoenaed and secretly observed. Government is out of control. Now they want to tell me, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. They want to declare to me that the definition of marriage must be changed. No! No. This is an immovable object. I will not be moved. Now, they can take away my freedom, but they will not take away my liberty. Certain inalienable rights endowed by our Creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I will always have liberty. I may practice it in prison. <laughs> but I will have liberty. It's a strange thing. We were talking in the trip through, through England. My wife was considering, how will I raise the kids with you in prison? You laugh. Would you have expected us to be where we are now, 10 years ago? No. It's exponentially increasing in its intensity. But this is a liberty I will not be moved in. The word of God is final. It is the final authority. Now, that being said, the Apostle Paul said in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 6, he says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Some people say, well, that's because he was blind. He may have been, but I don't think so. I mean, he may have been, and I'm not doubting that, but I don't think that's the reason for why he wrote this with an exclamation point. See, with what large letters. 
No, he wasn't doing that. He was the John Hancock of his time. You know of which I speak. The Declaration of Independence. Biggest name on the document. Booyah! Bring it on! See, they would be written in vellum, these letters, and you'd have to unroll them. And he would begin with his name at the beginning and conclude with his name at the end. And in case they had mistaken, with all the talk of liberty and all the talk of insurrection, all the talk of battle, and to get to the bottom and to pick a fight, he said, this is who did it, and see how big I write my name. I will not be moved. He would write in the book of Acts, none of these things move me. As he declares further on in the passage, he says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. You see, these Judaizers are coming in and saying, you need to observe the law. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around. There's going to be freedom in observing the law. More laws, more freedom. More laws, more freedom. Wrong. We have Ten Commandments. Give that to the government. What do we have? Just look at the tax laws alone. Nauseating. Expansion of government. Tell us what size sodas we can drink. Isn't that pleasant? How much salt I can have. I'm a little tired of it. And at this point, when we see this, we think, oh, freedom in laws? More laws? No. God is declaring through the Apostle Paul, as many as desire to make a good showing of you in the flesh, they would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Listen. Listen. Christians, settle down. Settle down. It's only a small admittance for the Boy Scouts of America. It's no big deal. You don't have to get all upset about it. Just relax. Don't, if you make a stink, they're going to get upset and you're going to get persecuted. Just dial it down, calm down, shut up, do as you're told and like it. Nobody's going to get hurt. Don't make any waves. Don't stand fast on those liberties. Don't declare absolutes. Don't call something a sin. Dial it down. For goodness sakes, they're watching. Yeah, they are. So what? Apostle Paul says, the only reason why people compel you to be circumcised and observe these laws and to yield to the pressures of society and the media and these giants that threaten you and and intimidate you by fear is so that you won't be persecuted. So just calm down. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised and they may boast in your flesh. We're going to make Obamacare, but the legislators don't have to be under it. Do you get it? You are their donkeys. Just keep sending the money in and do as you're told. And so they say, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. They don't have to. They're kings and queens and your subjects. And it's no longer a land of representation and a republic of a representative form of government. It's now a dictatorship. And they desire to have you circumcised that they can boast in your flesh. Look at my subjects. They do my bidding. 
Just play the game and do as you're told. And Paul says in verse 14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's saying, I'm not moved by this. I'm already dead. I died there. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. My life is not my own. I've been purchased with the holy blood of God. His body was broken. His blood was shed for the remission of my sins. I live for his glory and I am not subject to you. I'm subject to God. I was deeply moved by this passage. I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. And then he goes on to say, for in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. avails nothing. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. My heart is to serve God. We traveled. Actually, the whole trip started a couple of weeks ago when we were eating an Italian meal. And David and Cindy Lane said, we want to go to England for our anniversary. And I said, well, I'm going to be in Germany and then I'm going to go over to Scotland. They said, well, let's go. We'll meet there. I said, I can't change my ticket. So they brought my wife over, and they came, and then Bob and Liz McEwen, Congressman Bob and Liz McEwen, were on their way to Croatia because they had helped during the, uh, the, the communist downfall uh, to establish these democracies and these nations, and they were going to be honored, and they were say, well, b- before we go to Croatia, we'll stop in England, we'll all meet there, and the six of us will travel. I thought, that's great. So I went to Germany, and I came over to Glasgow, Scotland, and they drove up, and they met me in Glasgow, and then we went over to St. Andrews and then at Edinburgh. And it was just a whim of a trip, and I wanted to see England. I'd watched Pride and Prejudice and seen, you know, Downton Abbey, and, oh, this is delightful, yes, mm, lovely, lovely, mm, cup of tea, spot of tea. <laughs> Going through Scotland, St. Andrews on the golf course, that's right, look at the size, that's great and grand and beautiful. <laughs> but I was caught unaware. It was God's ordained timing that we would be in this chapter, and I would be in that nation. I had done a cursory study, but nothing of great depth. But being in Edinburgh, at the Greyfriars Church, seeing in the city, the center where the Covenanters were martyred and massacred, in the Greyfriars Church, In this church was the document of the Covenanters, which established Scotland for the most part, probably one of the most significant articles in the history of of the Western world. Just sitting in this dinky church. Tragic. Crowds passing by and no one giving it a mind or a thought. No one knowing anything of their history. Not having any clue why you sit here and why you have the privilege to rightly divide the word of truth because men and women died to give you that privilege. Beginning in the 1500s when John Knox was sent over by slavery into France and ended up in Switzerland and trained under John Calvin. Brought Protestantism back to Scotland. While they were there, they began to study the scriptures verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, so deeply moved by the gospel that their life was established. Samuel Rutherford, a covenanter, was so moved by the gospels, a faithful preacher in a small little Scottish town. And as the monarchy began to grow and government began to usurp the liberty and to take that liberty, 
All these covenanters in 1638 got together and signed a national covenant to say, we have one king and that's Jesus Christ. And he's the only one who rules over the church. No monarch will ever rule over the church of Christ. No government will ever tell me what marriage is. The Bible will. And I will proclaim that in prison. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's a power unto salvation for all who would believe. I'm not only willing to live for it, I'm willing to die for it. And as I looked at these covenanters, they declared it treasonous as they signed this covenant that only Christ would be the king of the church, not a monarch. They were outed. They were outed for their stand. When we think of people being outed, we think of that in the gay and lesbian community, but it used to be Christians. And I'll tell you what, the gay and lesbian community has taught us a thing or two about revolution. They've taught us a thing or two about having conviction. They've taught us a thing or two about revolution. It's time we take notice. Covenanting was declared to be treason and they began to kill these Christians. Their safeguard was a higher education. The persecution became so bad that they ended up in Ireland, stood their ground in Ireland and persecution increased in Ireland. They fell back to the colonies in the United States of America. Their education was second to none, and from the covenanters we received in our nation what is called the New England Primer, which was a primary textbook for over 200 years, up until the 1930s. That's all a public school child would learn from was the New England Primer. It was this big, that thick. Now they carry backpacks filled with books and their dislocated backs, and <laughs> but all a little book. A is for Adam. C is for Christ. They learned of all of those who had gone before through martyrs. They learned about this principle. Our founding fathers were educated on this. They spoke Latin, they spoke Greek, but this was a primary education tool. And these covenanters were so equipped at education that 28 universities were established by the covenanters, one in priority being Princeton itself. Amazing men and women. They immigrated to South and North Carolina, which was split, obviously. They were first a voice to dissolve union with Great Britain. 70% of the Revolutionary War generals were covenanters. They were the chief author, authors of the insurrectionist movement. They were hated by the British, hated by the British. 14 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Scottish covenanters. One of the most Profound battles of the Revolutionary War was King's Mountain, and it was the Covenanters that turned the tide of the war. Puritans didn't win the Revolution. Covenanters did. Scottish Covenanters. They migrated to southern Illinois when South Carolina started to embrace slavery, and they said enough is enough, and they sold their property and moved to Illinois. Samuel Rutherford was one of the greatest advocates of this, this Covenanter community. He wrote a book, called, a book called Lex Rex, and he contended for the purpose of the role of the state in a government. 
who was profoundly influential on the British constitutional reforms of the late 17th and 18th centuries and can, can be considered the founding document of the similar reforms that led to the American independence. Among many important conclusions that he wrote in this book, Lex Rex, number one, God gives no moral power to the king to commit immoral acts. Two, kings can and must be justly held to their constitutional oaths no less than the people. Three, God stamps no person with the imprint of king leaving such a designation to the people. Four, all kings owe their offices and powers to Christ. And five, obedience to kings in unlawful acts is rebellion against Christ. And that caused him to be persecuted and sentenced to death. He died before they could kill him. But they came over to the United States and they said, we're not moving. We're not moving. And they fought. One in 11 Americans fought in the Revolutionary War. Most of them were Covenanters. And they fought. Because they understood that we are to stand fast in the liberties for which Christ has set us free. And if you don't stand fast, you will be a subject. And you will be a slave. And you will be placed in bondage. San Francisco, a bill aimed at pressuring the Boy Scouts of America to lift its ban on gay members by making the organization ineligible for nonprofit tax breaks, cleared its first vote on Wednesday in the California legislature. The Senate Governance and Finance Committee voted 5-2 to two to move the first-of-its-kind bill to the Senate Appropriations Committee for review. The Youth Equality Act, sponsored by Senator Ricardo Lara, Democrat Long Beach, would deny tax-exempt status to youth groups that discriminate on the basis of gender identity, race, sexual orientation, nationality, religion, or religious affiliation. So we're going to be at war. They want to take away our identity as a religious body. They want to tell me what I can and can't preach. They want to tell us what we can and can't believe. The government was supposed to serve us. Now they want us to serve them. And I'm not going to do it. These are troubling times at best. Our ancestors didn't die for this. This is unacceptable. And it falls on us to make it right. I wish I had written these words, but I didn't. But Reverend Ken Kloss wrote them. I heard them and I got a transcript of a portion of them. I want to read them to you. But before I read them, I want to say this on Memorial Day. I'm going to meet with the leaders as a chartering organization for our troop 711 and our Cub Scout troop 3711. And by the way, I want you to see something. Have we shown this video? I lost track of time. This was yesterday at Memorial Day at Pierce Brothers Cemetery. Our troop established strong men, strong boys 
coming into being godly men, there's only two avenues still available for the rite of passage of young men in our culture. One's Boy Scouts and the other's sports. And even sports is being changed. Now they, they, they want to take this away from us. And when you remove a foundation, you might want to ask why it's there before you remove it. As we were watching this yesterday, I'm looking at these kids, these, these men, young men. They were solid. They'd look you in the eye. They'd shake your hand. They had stature about them. They weren't mealy-mouthed and their heads weren't down. They knew in whom they believed and what they stood for. And there they were with a nobility and a strength about them, surrounded by dads who love the Lord and are imparting those truths into their lives. And now that institution that's been established for the, the strengthening of these young men is being destroyed. And so I met with some of the concerned parents and I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell the Boy Scouts of America, we're not going to observe your laws. They're in violation of the dictates of Christ. You want to kick us out, you kick us out, but we're not moving. They can have the option to get rid of us, but we're not changing. Amen. First service, it didn't go real well. He promises me that it's going to work this way. So take a look at our boys. No, why do I keep saying that? Our young men. Check this out. Please welcome our very young Conejo Valley Troop 711. We are here today to honor our veterans, the symbol of our country, and retire a flag which has served its useful life as a symbol of freedom in our country. I'm your flag. I was born on June 14, 1777. I'm more than just a piece of cloth. My red stripes symbolize the blood spilled defense of this glorious nation. My white stripes, the burning tears shed by Americans who lost their sons in battle. My blue field represents God's heaven under which I fly, and my stars cluster together and unify the two states as one for God and country. So they went and they placed flags on the graves of the men and women who died protecting our freedoms. They remembered them. We are going to honor those who died for the freedoms, that we will exercise those freedoms and live for those freedoms. I want to read to you the writings of Reverend Ken Kloss. Yes, today it is right for America to remember that. Even from before there was a nation, it appeared the Lord provided protection in ways unprecedented and unparalleled. If you doubt me, then look to the diaries of the well-armed and better-trained British forces who fought in the Revolutionary War. Again and again, they speak of how God had miraculously aided and delivered Washington with his ragtag army. Centuries later, you can look at the history of World War II when a praying America was blessed by God how those histories would have been changed if Nazi Germany and not the U.S. had first invented the atomic bomb. Yes, both scriptures and history remind us to remember God's hand in our history. 
We should remember, but it's too easy and all too human for us to forget. In this forgetting, we are not alone. Look at the Old Testament and you will see the children of Israel almost always lived in a perpetual state of forgetfulness. Exodus gives us numerous examples of how God's people forgot how God had given them their freedom and how He had fed and led them in their wilderness wanderings. Having noted humankind's chronic amnesia, the Lord gave us a short reminder of what He wanted His people to remember. And He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And He continued, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It was and remains God's way of saying, don't forget me. Remember me in the morning, in the evening, and in between. Remember me to your children. So they grow up knowing and appreciating me. The Lord's request was a simple one, but almost always it is a forgotten one. Humankind's sinful nature hates being under obligation to God almost as much as governments love to take credit for good weather and great wealth. God says, remember me, but people say we prefer to forget. Helping us to forget God, our schools are being given books where history is being rewritten. In the history that's been destroyed, the pilgrims no longer give thanks to God. No, it is the Indians who receive their praise and appreciation. Rather than educating our children about the faith of our founding fathers, children are being encouraged to forget the words of Washington, who confessed it is impossible to be rightly governed, to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. And when they wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Well, today they would have us believe those words were only put into the into placate the masses and to make it seem as if God was involved in the struggle for independence. In many ways, America's trying to forget God, minimize his influence, and make him appear to be altogether unnecessary. As a result, teachers are told to confine their classroom time to the education of the student's body and mind and ignore his soul. Without God, no longer is it possible for them to categorically state this is right or that is wrong. Because everything is relative, values become fuzzy, morals formless, and virtues vague. Many are trying to eliminate God and then are shocked to see teens more committed to their gangs than they are to their nation. They are stunned to hear cheating is epidemic. And we just saw a Notre Dame quarterback expelled for that. They seem shocked when sick-minded students enter a school with the murderous goal of being remembered for achieving a high body count among their classmates. Many in America are trying to forget God and they want Christians to do the same. Just shut up, do as you're told and like it. That is why they laugh at Christians who hold fast to scriptures which say, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. To help us forget the Christ who lived, died, and rose so we might be forgiven, both news and entertainment programs refer, prefer to portray God's people as being old-fashioned, narrow-minded, scripture-misquoting simpletons, and clergy must be psychotic, prejudiced, perverted, and all three. Helping us to forget the Lord's critics scornfully sneer and say, sin is a myth and your Savior causes people to be socially and psychological failures. Forget the Creator, they tell us, 
Instead, join us in believing a thousand billion stars made themselves. Forget God, they say, and join us in believing a baby is not a God-given miracle. He or she is a product of happenstance, fate, kismet, evolution. My friends, it's time for Christian America to remember. It is time for us to recall our faith, our life, our land. Our eternal future comes from God. It's a time for Christian America to remember that when the world says everyone is basically good, God replies, all have sinned. When the world says there's no heaven or hell, God warns man is destined to die and after that judgment. When the world shrugs and says we can't be sure of salvation or know if Christianity is correct, Christians can confidently respond, God has given us eternal life and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. It's time to remember no politician ever died to save us and no leader gives us eternal life. Only Jesus can do that. This weekend is a time for us to remember those who have fallen and it's a time to remember He who has risen. Amen? The part that gets me in all of this is at the conclusion of Galatians 6. The passage reads by the Apostle Paul, verse 16, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And then he says this, From now on, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The marks. He says, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. But when he says the marks of the Lord Jesus, I bear in my body the marks. The marks. I, I went to Germany and had, a, had euros. Went over to Scotland, got Scottish money. Went to England, had English money. Saw the watermarks. All to avoid forgery. The original and the fraudulent. You look for the watermarks, the marks that they bear that are original. You look for the marks that confirm them to be what they declare themselves to be. That they are the original. The value is legitimate. And yet you distinguish the original from the fraudulent, from the counterfeit. If the counterfeit doesn't have the marks or the correct details, you see it for what it is. If it's not corrected, the value of the original is diminished. That is why we bear in our body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he declares that a man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is marriage. That's marriage. You may have a civil union. You may do what you desire in your government affairs. But marriage defined by God in the scriptures is a man and a woman. That's it. That's the original. You can try to justify and legitimize your position by putting the counterfeit up to the original. And if it isn't corrected, it will devalue the original. Marriage in itself will be destroyed as we've seen in Western culture and the postmodern era. People just won't marry anymore. The fabric of society will crumble. I've, I've gone through England. I've seen it. It's awful. We're 15 years from that. And the buck stops with us. Draw the line. We will stand fast in the liberty for which Christ has set us free. I will not be moved. And so that is what God calls us to, to bear those marks. The two marks I think of, one is faith. The other is this picture of evangelism. I think of this idea 
of living your life in such a way that if you were put on trial for being a Christian, there'd be plenty of evidence to convict you. One time, two professed Christians worked together for 10 years in the same business office, and over the years, however, neither of them, thank you, my nose is running, and thank you. You get old when your feet smell and your nose runs. supposed to be reversed. One time, two professed Christians worked together for 10 years in the same business office, and over the years, however, neither of them knew that the other was a Christian. One of the men said to his minister, wasn't it funny that Bill and I were friends in the same office, and yet neither of us knew until recently that the other was a Christian? And the minister replied, funny? That's not funny, it's tragic. In my opinion, neither of you have ever experienced the new birth. If you had, you would have not hid your faith from the others. That's faith. To live in such a way that there's no doubt the world knows you're a Christian. You don't have to be afraid. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And then I think of this idea of evangelism. No better than D.L. Moody. We were in a a church in Scotland where D.L. Moody preached. Met a just profound, sweet Scottish pastor who loves the Lord. His name's Howard Espy. Great brogue and a love for Jesus. His heart was stirred by our visit. It was ordained to the Lord. It was a sweet and powerful time. But D.L. Moody one day was criticized for his methods of evangelism and attempting to win people to the Lord. Moody's reply was, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me how you do it. The lady replied, I don't do it. Moody retorted, then I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. (laughs) Evangelize or we die. There's only two ways to grow the body of Christ. Raise godly Christian kids and tell people about the Lord. If you're doing neither, you're taking up space. Right? We're in this together, aren't we? Hello? Okay, I was just checking because that response originally scared me a little bit. I thought maybe I'm just irritating you more than encouraging you. Folks, this is a day we recognize that the freedoms and the liberties that we've been given have been established by the 1.3 million men and women who have died to protect those for you and me. They didn't necessarily have to give their lives. A lot of them came back without limbs. Some of them came back without minds. Some have never left a hospital. Don't. Don't go through this day And forget them. This liberty is one to be protected. We don't remember just the people who died. But like we said earlier, we remember the one who's risen. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance, in memory of me. He's saying, this is my body that was broken. And this is my blood that was shed for the remission of your sins. I died to set you free. Nothing holds you anymore. You're a new creature in Christ. If God is for you, who can be against you? No weapon fashioned against you will stand. You're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. It all happened right here. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And into into thy hands I commit thy spirit. And he said those Words that have echoed in our heart ever since. It is 
finished. You have been given liberty. Now walk in it. Stand firm. Don't move and declare it to a lost and dying world. Bear the marks of Jesus in your life by the faith that you trust Him and that you would tell others about Him. And to remember that as He was willing to die for you, that we might live for Him. Come and receive this power and go and give it. Amen? Let's invite the worship team up and we'll get ready for communion. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word that you hold above your name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And Lord, on this Memorial Day, we recognize the men and women who have died to protect those liberties and those freedoms. And we're thankful. But Lord, they died to protect the freedoms that you secured upon the cross. And blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. So we thank you for this new birth of freedom in our hearts. That we will not be moved. That we will take a renewed heart to serve this great land to proclaim of your soon return to a lost and dying world. Lord, take away fear and replace it with faith, power, love, and a sound mind. And we would honor and serve you. And today, Lord, we remember you. And Lord, we will never forget you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers will dismiss you by row. You come down the side aisles and go back to your seat through the center aisle and just sit down as the worship team plays. You take communion at your leisure. Just remember, though, you take the bread first because the body had to be broken. And then you take the cup second because the blood was shed for the remission of your sins. And remember the Lord. Amen.